Hey, Bridgeway. Today I'm starting a brand new three-week series called United When Divided. Today I'm going to talk about the bonds of peace. Next week is the Sunday right before the election. The title is The Ballads of God's People. And then the Sunday after the election, we're going to talk about the battle never lost. You're going to want to be with us for all three weeks. You know, our theme for the year is stay in focus. Focus stands for followers of Christ united in the spirit. In my last sermon series called Follow Me, we talked about the followers of Christ. What about the second half of that? United in the spirit. Is it possible that Christians who disagree on the areas of politics and social issues, but yet they're still followers of Christ, is it possible that they can be united even when they're divided? Answer, yes, we can, but only by the power of the Almighty God. It takes the Holy Spirit to unite us when we seem so divided in our different perspectives and in the way we see different issues and even in the way we experience different issues. But our theme comes from this verse in Ephesians chapter three, which tells us that we have to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That's where our theme verse comes from. In fact, if I read it from the New International Version, it would say this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. But what I wanna do is I wanna read the immediate context around it. That's Ephesians 4, 3. I wanna read to you verses one through six so that we can see exactly what is being surfaced in order to help you and I stay united as brothers and sisters in Christ even when we're divided. Let's pray. Father, would you please take your word and bring it into our lives into such a deep level that it changes us from the inside out and unifies us with people that may even be different from us. In Jesus' name, together everyone said, amen and amen. So Ephesians 4, one through six, gives us three big commands that will help us be united when we're divided. Three big commands. Let's pick it up at verse one. The writer Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says in chapter four, verse one, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It is there that we find the first big command. Live a life worthy of your calling. Let me translate. Don't stoop to the lowest common denominator of behavior and act like the others in the world. What Paul is saying is as a prisoner of the Lord, you are supposed to, and he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As followers of Christ, we cannot stoop to the lowest levels of the common bad behavior and act like others in the world act, regardless of whether we agree with their politics or not. If they are acting a certain way, we as believers are saying we will not act that way. Why? Because we have to live a life that is worthy of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Verse two, we find the second big command. He says in verse two, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, 
bearing with one another in love. Here we find big command number two, be completely humble, gentle, and patient. See, this Christian thing is not easy. If you're going to live worthy of your calling and now be not just humble, completely humble, gentle, and patient. Wow, that's a tough one to live out. But let me give you the translation. What he's trying to say in the lingo that I'm going to use is don't be a jerk even when others are acting like arrogant children with no home training. That's what the Bible says. Now, it says it better than I did. Be completely humble, gentle, and patient, but don't be a jerk. Even when other people are acting like arrogant children with no home training. And what he does in this verse is he lifts out four of the fruits of the spirit. You remember the fruits of the spirit? It's not the fruits of the flesh. It's the fruits of the spirit. We talked about it this summer. The fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5.22 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The nine fruits. Well, we find four of them right here. Listen to what it says again. He says, you know, I urge you to live a life worthy. Verse two, be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. (laughs) There's four of the nine fruits right here. If we're going to be united in the spirit, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, we have to be united in the, listen, spirit, in the spirit realm. That's the only way that you and I are going to be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. These are spiritual fruits. They're not fruits of the flesh. That's why I get frustrated in my own life. What frustrates me about so many people, and especially Christians, is that they will excuse themselves from having to express the fruit of the Spirit when it comes to politics or even the candidates that they espouse. Listen, the the text doesn't say, guess what? Don't worry about being patient and and loving and gentle when you're talking about politics in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Doesn't say that at all. It says no matter what you think, no matter what you believe, no matter what you experience politically or even socially, as a believer who's living a life worthy of his or her calling, we are not given a license where now we can just be arrogant and not humble, where we can somehow be rough rough and, and harsh and not gentle, where we don't have to exercise patience or even bear with one another in love. It doesn't say except for politics or social issues. And friends, I have to repent all the time over this, and I'll confess to you that I have lacked the fruit of the Spirit in my life sometimes, not only in my life, but even just in this year. My fruit has been tested over and over and over again. What about yours? (laughs) My humility has been tested, and I have failed. My gentleness has been tested. At times, I have failed. My patience has been so, anybody patience been tested? Mine too. And I failed over and over and over again. My bearing with others in love has been tested. 
I mean, it, it frustrated. I'll give you one example. It's just so frustrating to me. If I'm going to be real with you, there was a pastor out on the West Coast and he was, you know, preaching and teaching to his predominantly white congregation that Black Lives Matter and people protesting in the streets was nothing but anarchy and socialism and Marxism. And it was ungodly because people were disobeying the government authorities that God had put in place without mentioning one time the plight and the cries of black and brown people. But then weeks later, the same pastor defies the government's order not to assemble inside a church with lots of people because of the pandemic in order to slow the spread of COVID in his state. Well, the same pastor cries out, religious freedom, religious freedom. And he has church anyway with 3,000 or more people face to face in the church, shoulder to shoulder, singing defying the government's order. And he says to his congregation, welcome to a peaceful protest. Why is it okay for you to defy the government orders when you're uncomfortable with someone telling you what to do, but when it's black and brown people uh, resisting oppression, all of a sudden you're labeled as socialist and communist and Marxist and everything else but a child of God. So frustrating. Oh, testing my patience. Why is it that civil rights leaders are often labeled as socialists and communists and Marxists whenever they protest injustice? But when religious white people resist, they are called, no, demonstrations, not protests, not riots. They're not called communists or socialists. They're called activists with righteous indignation. When you do it, it's godly. When others do it, it's godless. And when you're carrying guns to the state capitol, advocating for your rights to go to a church or a bar, or not to wear a mask, it's all about religious freedom as the issue. But when others declare their right to be free from police brutality, it's about obeying the authorities that God has placed over you. Let's read Romans 13. Why is it always about Romans 13 and obeying the government when it comes to protesting of black and brown people, but when it comes to protesting against the government for religious issues, all of a sudden, somehow it's godly. Did we forget about Daniel? Did we forget about the three boys in the lion's den? Did we forget about all the texts in the scripture where people did resist the oppression that came from the government. I'm not advocating that we disobey the government. I'm just highlighting that it doesn't seem to be the same text you use when you want to sneak Bibles into Cuba or Bibles into unknown, uh, unopened countries in the name of Jesus. Sure, let's just disobey that. But when it comes to locking kids up in cages at the border, somehow we become all moral and we just want people to obey the law. It's frustrating. But the Bible doesn't somehow give me freedom to throw the fruit of the spirit out. But oh, there have been times that I've wanted to. When a white man can carry a gun in the streets during a protest and get a pass by the authorities like it's normal, like it's just Tuesday. Hey, buddy, how you doing? But yet a black woman can be sleeping in her bed and be killed and filled with six bullet holes 
It may be legally justifiable, but it's heartbreakingly unjustifiable to a mother who is now without a daughter, and yet the walls received more justice than her black body. Rest in peace, Breonna Taylor. When white men can carry guns on a pickup truck and shoot a black man who's unarmed, but that black man, he's dead and they're not arrested until a videotape comes out. Or a black guy's eating ice cream in Dallas in his house and he gets shot up dead. What am I saying? I'm saying it's frustrating, but my frustration doesn't give me one license to disobey what God is teaching me or you, whether black, white, Asian, or Hispanic. Yet the God says through this scripture, Dr. David Anderson? Oh yeah, <laughs> he doesn't really call me doctor. <laughs> it's more like my mom, boy, not boy, that's <laughs> different now. Boy, B-O-I-I-I-I-I-I-I, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. David, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. I said there were four out of the nine fruits of the spirit, but actually there are five. Because when you read our key verse, where it says make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of what? You got it, peace. It's another fruit of the spirit. So out of the nine, you get five of them. Peace is another one. We've noticed these commands. I said there are three big commands. I've highlighted two, let me give you the third. Remember the first one, live a life worthy of the calling that you've been given. The second one, be completely humble, gentle, and patient. Here's the the third one. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. It's the third big command. That means I have to, regardless of my frustrations, and you have to, regardless of your exasperations, make every effort to keep the unity of the what? The spirit through the bond of peace. If I were to take this whole sermon and put it in a sentence using these verses, this is what I'd say. Live worthy, humbly, and gently while working patiently in love to maintain unity. Did you get that? That was a mouthful. It puts all five fruit of the Spirit in one sentence. Let me say it again. Live worthy, humbly, and gently while working patiently in love to maintain unity. Humble, gentle, patient, love. And rem- remember the fifth one that we're at now, peace. Through the bond of peace, how do we do it? Well, it tells us in this scripture that peace is something that, that the Lord has made. If you go back to uh, chapter two, this is what it says. For he himself is our peace, speaking of Jesus who has made the two one, talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, the people that were fighting, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. You see, it says through the bond of peace because he is our peace. Where we find peace is in Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus said when he came on the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And in John 14, 27, Jesus says to his followers, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. 
I do not give it as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I'm saying that to you today. The Lord says, do not be troubled and do not be afraid. Regardless of the social issues, do not be troubled and do not be afraid because my peace I've given to you. And this is a peace that the world cannot give. And so regardless of who wins the election or who loses the election, may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Practically speaking, we've got to remember that we are sons of God. And it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God, children of God, sons and daughters of God. It's the only one where you're calling you a child of God. Why? Because Jesus was a peacemaker. A friend and I were talking about this kind of peace. It's not a, about simply being peaceful. It's about making peace. And uh, my brother and I, as we were talking about this idea of making peace, it's active. It's something that you and I are supposed to go and do. And so in our text, we've been taught to keep the unity of the spirit, make every effort to do it. That is making every effort means that we're actually engaged proactively and trying to bring the peace that God wants us to bring to the earth. But not only are we sons and daughters of peace, we are called to wear the shoes of peace. It says in Ephesians chapter six that we are supposed to put on the shoes of peace. And these shoes of peace are the gospel. When we stand on the foundation of the gospel, when we share that gospel, we're wearing the shoes of peace. This is what Pastor Sandy and Pastor Jared were talking about a couple of weeks ago. The gospel is when we're sharing and neighboring with people well and we're telling them about the good news of Christ. If we wanna change the world, we've got to, ask God to change the hearts of people and those hearts will be changed when they hear the word of God. And how would they hear without a preacher? You're the one that God is sending into your workplace and into your neighborhood, into that grocery store, into that place where you get gas and coffee. God is sending you as his missionary to be in that place, wearing the shoes of peace and sharing the word of the gospel. Peace doesn't mean the absence of conflict or chaos. It means in the midst of it, I can stand with these shoes on and know that the gospel is powerful enough to settle the most uh, disorganized and confused hearts and minds. When you have the, the son of God inside of you and you are a son of peace and you're standing in the shoes of peace, then no matter what is going on around you, know that the peace of God will not only change your heart, but it will change the situation and the temperature in your particular area. We need to change the atmosphere, friends, by using words that make peace. It doesn't mean that we're just sitting around singing soft songs and how well it is with my soul. Yes, that may be true on the inside, but it also means that we lift our voices up and we speak against the injustices and we, we stand and we say, Father, uh, forgive them for they know not what they do. Hmm. This means walking the gospel out and walking into people's lives, knowing that God can use you to help bring liberation to them. But God doesn't want us to stop there. God wants us to also plant seeds of peace. 
You see, you don't want to be a person who sows division. Division is the territory of the devil himself. And divisive people sow seeds of division and dissension and doubt in order to bring distrust and bitterness, growing polarization, separating people. Listen, it's not about what candidate you vote for, although I hope that you will prayerfully ask God who you're supposed to vote for. That's between you and God. You're not going to hear me tell you who to vote for. But what I will say is regardless of who's in office, God has called you to live worthy of your calling. God has called you to be humble and gentle and patient and loving and to bring peace. God has called you to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. And divisive people are something that God does not stand for. In fact, Proverbs 6, verses 19 Verses 16 through 19, you read it. It says there's six things that God hates, but the seventh one is a man who stirs up dissension among the brothers. Divisive people sow seeds of dissension. But we as believers can plant seeds of peace. We may have to break up the fallow ground sometimes, but we can actually sow seeds of peace. But we've got to check our motives when we're talking during this election season. Because if you're bringing up injustice in order to get justice and God's peace, then you must do it boldly, but wisely. But if you're bringing up injustice to create more dissension and division, then stop it. It doesn't honor God. Even if your case is right, the way you plead it must be godly. You cannot send bad text and emojis and create t-shirts that say things that are violent and still keep the fruit of the spirit. You have to not sow seeds of division. Don't gin people up and make them more angry than they already are. But let me also say silence is not peace either. In some respects, silence is violence. Silence is complicity at worst and ignorance at, at best. And it is no longer acceptable in the United States of America to use I did not know as an excuse. If you're a white person or even a black person that doesn't know your history, a brown person or Maybe you're Asian or come as an immigrant from another country. There is no excuse for you to be silent based on ignorance. Young black people learn your history. I know white people that know black history better than I do. And I thank God for them. We have three white male teachers in our church that teach on race and diversity and inclusion. Frank Eastham and our new pastor of Multicultural Bridge Building and Pastor Scott Garber, who's written on the issue. But we cannot rely on white people to know our history better than us. You need to go learn your own history. And it's gotta be beyond Dr. Martin Luther King or even the sermons of Dr. David Anderson. You have now got to ask yourself the question, 
Am I going to forget everything from the past so it can repeat itself? Or am I going to actually study to find out the roots from which I've come? And that my life and my history and my heritage is way beyond and before slavery. It didn't start with slavery. We came from kings and queens. You need to know your history. I'm just talking to my black folk right now. I need to know my history better. History matters in every other case, except when it comes to black people. When it comes to the Jews, we never want to forget what Hitler did. When it comes to 9-11, we never want to forget what the terrorists did. When it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ, we're going to eat and remember him over and over and over again because we don't want to forget what he did for us. But whenever someone wants to talk about slavery, oh, we talk about it too much. Can we just forget about that? I wasn't there. We do everything we can to blind ourselves from the horrors of what America has done. And until we can repent from the sins of racism, we will never have the peace that God wants us to have. We are sons and daughters of peace. And we don't look away from the cross. We look to it and say, thank you, Jesus. Now change me and give me new life. The same is true for black American history. This is a stolen land built by stolen people. And if we can't say that, then you go around and say, happy Columbus Day. I'll go into a car that's not mine and say, I'm not stealing it, Mr. Officer. I discovered it. A stolen land built by stolen people. And then to say that there's no racism whatsoever? And America's not racist whatsoever? What is feeding that in you? What is feeding it in me not to even want to know my own history because I have dark skin? What's feeding it in black people who don't want to be around other black people because they don't even like the people that look like them, so they want to try to be like those that don't look like them? Oh, I know I'm preaching now. I've been off my notes for 10 minutes, but I believe it's something we need to hear because when we talk about peace, like my brother Kevin said, it's not just about being peaceful. It's about making peace. And Jesus had to come into an ugly reality in order to create a beautiful future. And the same is true for you and me. We're not going to just ignore what has happened. We're going to walk into it and we're going to say, how can we still be united in the spirit? through the bond of peace, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And how can we all repent? I need to repent. You need to repent. God says, my people who are called by my name, they'd humble themselves and pray. Turn from their wicked ways. I will heal their land. We want healing? Then come on, repentance. We want healing? Come on, peace. But I don't do it by ignoring what has happened, nor do I do it by sowing seeds of dissension. I sow seeds of peace. I bring grace and truth together. I'm reminded that we're united in the spirit. And then we worship the one who can bring healing in our lives. What have I said? I said there were five fruits necessary for us to stay focused and united when divided. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, and peace. I gave you the sermon in a sentence to live worthy, humbly, and gently while working patiently in love to maintain unity. We accomplish this through the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes us sons of peace who wear the shoes of peace and we plant seeds of peace. 
One of the things that you and I can do is to always remember the cross of Jesus Christ. We don't want to forget it and we don't want to repeat it. He did everything that we need in order to have peace with God and peace within ourselves. In fact, I want to invite you as a practical application to come have communion with me. On next Sunday, November the 1st, we're going to do another prayer vigil gathering. It's going to be at 2 p.m. It's probably going to be cold. I invite you to bring your chairs, bring your blankets. We'll be there for one hour in the parking lot outside at the Columbia campus, November 1st, 2 p.m. Blankets, chairs, but guess what we're going to do? We're going to pray for this election. We're not going to pray for uh, who wins or who loses. We're going to pray that God, who is the ultimate winner, will have his will done, but that we would be the peacemakers that he's called us to be. But we're also going to take communion together. We're going to have one chalice, and all of you are going to stand in line and come up, and we're going to drink out of the same chalice just to see if this COVID thing is real. (laughs) Trust me, we ain't doing that. We have little plastic uh, communion cups that are sealed with little uh, crackers inside them. And each one will take their own and you'll open it up and then you'll be able to feed yourself and then uh, throw it away. It's going to be beautiful because we get to have communion together as a body, which we've not done uh, with the exception of virtually, but we've not done in the same physical space. So for those of you that can make it, come and join me and we'll have communion together. We'll also pray for our nation and we'll repent of our own sins as well. This will be our second prayer vigil gathering. Next week is the Sunday before the election. I'm going to talk about the ballot box of God's people. Get ready. Heavenly Father, help us to get ready. Help us to trust you as Lord and Savior and then to believe that what you put inside of us, we can actually use in order to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Save our souls, save our families, save our nation. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen.